Hello and welcome to a very special years and bonus episode of 1001 Album Complaints. This episode, we're going to recap the amazing year that was 2023 by playing some highlights from our tweet length reviews this year. Now, for those who might not know, typically this is a show where every week friends, musicians, and music fans get together and break down, tell the story behind some of the most influential albums of all time, as described in Robert Dimery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. And then typically after we tell that story and talk through a few songs, we vote on whether or not you really need to hear this record before you die or not. But here we are at the end of 2023, a great year. And as our forefathers, the Simpsons once said, let's come to this a clip show. <laughs> clip episode. <laughs> Do we need Troy McClure to intro this for us? <laughs> but uh, hopefully this is a little bit of fun for your end of year. If you've been following along with us, it was fun compiling this. Uh, so we're going to get to the clips in a second. But seriously, I wanted to first thing say thank you sincerely to everyone who's been listening this year. It's been a wild ride with tons of new listeners coming on board. The launch of our merch store, our Patreon page. Thanks so much to everyone supporting us in those spots, especially in the Patreon community. And by the way, I wanted to mention we're, we're cooking up some fun ideas to launch to that Patreon community in 2024. Of course, we don't want to do anything to dilute the hard work that goes into this weekly free show every single week, but we've got some cool stuff percolating right now. And we'll update you as soon as we're ready to publish, which should be in, in January, maybe late January. Rob's going to start doing cameos for that's, uh, <laughs> that's right. $1,000 a pop. I'm ready. I'm ready. $1,000 pop. Ah, damn it. Oh, well done. Anything to help the show, guys. Starting OnlyFans for our... uh, I think Adam probably needs to handle that one. That'll cost negative money. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. I'll pay you if you rate me. So a couple other things I wanted to mention that changed this year. We started posting some video clips over the YouTube channel. We have been quiet about it so far. But if you want to see our lovely faces or get the at least a piece of the podcast a day early, you can go over and subscribe to the Chop Unlimited YouTube channel and look at our, our lovely mugs there and get a jump on the other complainers at the same time. Uh, we'd love you if you did that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that our own Adam has been crafting a bunch of fresh content on our Instagram pages week over week, little bite-sized snippets of the research from the show, delivered with visual jokes and of course Adam's handsome face. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at 1001 album complaints. Nice. Okay. Let's get to the clips. I've gone through every tweet from the year 2023 and I've pulled Jesus. my favorite pithy commentary covering I think all 52 albums we covered wow. this year. For those who don't know, at the beginning of every episode, we start kind of start off the show with a short tweet length review of the album, and we we really kind of lean into the into the snark. So we're excited to be here in the studio, <laughs> going through these clips with Adam, Tom, Alan, and myself. I'm Rob, and I should also mention that everyone else, save me, who compiled the clips, has not heard the clips yet. So you're going to get some real time reactions today as we look back on the year 2023. And I'll be honest, I forget half, not half, but I I just don't, you know, you get into the habit of doing this once a week and you forget what you did three or four weeks ago. So I 
if you asked me what was 50 episodes ago, <laughs> no idea. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm a little scared as well. I can barely remember what I voted, let alone what I said <laughs> on, yeah, right. these, on these episodes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Phil still harbors regret for not voting for Bjork like a year and a half ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the scrolls cannot be changed, <laughs> as we know. Okay. The bylaws. This first batch, they're going to be in little batches. So this first batch is intended to set the tone for the evening here. In case you're less familiar with our approach to these quick reviews, we typically like to come in hot with some snark in order to get the old comedy ball a rolling. And uh, I should probably mention right away that these don't always clearly ID the album in question. But having gone through these myself, I, I now know the answers to that question. So maybe we can make a fun guessing game of it in the studio or I think from context, you'll probably get a lot, guys. So okay. let's get these clips a roll, and here's the first set. We are going to throw it around the room, and by way of introduction to all of our cast of characters here, we are going to give you a tweet-length review of this album. So I am first going to throw it over to Adam. Hey, everybody, this is Adam, and my quick review was which translates to... Dr. John violates the Hippocratic Oath for 33 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, th this week's love record was an interesting track. I mean, I think it took us through the 60s sort of folk psychedelia of Richie Havens and Rodriguez and maybe even Lennon and McCartney and Mamas and Papas psychedelic vocal pop harmony. And I love all those things, but it also has like a real dawning of Aquarius thing going on and I really hate that shit. So I'm still trying to integrate. You know that generic sounding theme song from TV's The 70s Show? The band that wrote that song wrote Others Like It and put it on an album that, funny enough, is called Number One Record. My tweet length review of Appetite for Destruction is as follows. Glorified stripper music made by junkies, drunks, and assholes. <laughs> Bloated, overindulgent, excessive, unnecessary. These are words I never thought I would use to describe a mere 35-minute album. Yet here we are. You know, <laughs> inclusion is very important in art. I think that it was particularly brave of the Red Hot Chili Peppers to have someone who has clearly recently suffered a debilitating stroke and is suffering some, some form of aphasia be the main lyricist and frontman. It's really inspiring and brave. They were ahead of their time. <laughs> oh my god! So we're a bunch of we're a bunch of pissy bitches. Is wow! That, <laughs> that actually reminds me. I think it it might have been like a Hard Times or an Onion article that was like Anthony Kiedis sues. Uh, toddler for stealing his lyrics or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I wonder what the what the count of debilitating diseases we've referenced <laughs> over the course of two and a half years and just how offensive. Yeah. That and is. somehow Dr. John didn't come up on that list of debilitating disease. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think his debilitating disease was just drugs. Right. <laughs> okay. Well speaking of that, our tweets took a lot of different forms this year, often pithy and sarcastic, as I mentioned. But as I dug through the file cabinet, I was able to find several examples of us being at least semi-complimentary, although sometimes in a backhanded kind of way. So let's let's roll the, some of those gems. With Odalay, Beck Hansen continues to cleverly string together random words 
into lyrics that are complete <laughs> nonsense and are also easy and fun. Standing behind the sample based grooves of the Dust Brothers, Odelay brings a refreshing style of pop music to fill the void left behind by tiring grungsters. And grungster is a word that I made up. <laughs> if you like generational bass playing, downhill, late Zeppelin, Bonham plays, funk rock drums, out of tune vocals, milk toast, shirtless, heroin chic, dime a dozen Hendrix licks, and blood, sugar, sex, magic is the one hot minute and one hour and 16 more minutes for you. <laughs> Listen, y'all. Two men enter, one man leaves. <laughs> These aren't just the rules of the Thunderdome. They apply to me coming into this Tina Turner podcast. Do I embrace the 80s cheese or do I insist on killing off the part of me that really, really enjoyed this? <laughs> so my quick tweet length review is that I once played a gig in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Granted, it was a cover gig, but it consisted of four one hour sets. Sam Cooke and his band managed to pack more energy and feeling into a single 36-minute set than we did over the course of 240 minutes. One caveat, however, my band was tighter and we had fewer mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, getting snippy already. I love it. My tweet length review is what do you get when you take enough ego for at least four separate bands and try to cram it into one album? An era-defining masterpiece that burns so hot it could only be a singular event. I am an atheist, but if God had a voice, it would come out as a four-part CSNY <laughs> harmony. Uh, Fair. Awesome. Rob, I applaud your work having to go through to find the bare handful of complimentary <laughs> tweets that must have existed over the course of the year. Well, I'm sure that was all of them, so there was probably yeah, no yeah. like discernment needed. It was just... But who the hell makes fun of Sam Cooke's backup band? I almost feel like I need to apologize. <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? My God. Adam, I don't know if you get made it to the end of that episode, but spoiler alert, he's dead. And right, you're not going to hear that apology. <laughs> All right, yeah, you're right. I'm fine. All right, I'm I'm, I'm safe. But woo, that is. But that was an that interesting choice. Be like, yeah. hey, this band of just like absolute stunner musicians <laughs> that were playing in a like tin hot box and ripping out soul music for 30 minutes. Yeah, but my band was able to play uh, Creed songs with fewer mistakes. Okay. So. <laughs> oh Jesus! Hey, it was Nickelback. It wasn't Creed. We never sunk to Creed level, but we did do you Nickelback. Right, right to the top shelf with Creed. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Who's the guy from Creed? Scott Stapp. There's a fantastic clip of him on... Uh, no, it's, it's on Tough Crowd. Scott Stapp, Tough Crowd. If you guys want to have a, a very interesting view, just watch Scott Stapp on Tough Crowd. He is hammered as can possibly be. Oh, no. Yep. And even that is not drunk enough to make his music palatable. <laughs> Somehow this turned into talking shit on Creed. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. I think we're going a little off the rails. Right, sorry. So yeah, right. I know. I know that some of our takes on these classic records may seem Neanderthal and or tone deaf, but rest assured, we can also be aloof and pedantic. <laughs> this is a series of clips I earmarked as examples of us painting pictures with our words. Enjoy. Oh no! Is this all Phil? Oh, God. Enjoy the best. <laughs> Of those. Hey, everybody, this is Adam. And so the year's 1955. The average cost of a house was around $11,000. A new car cost about $1,900. A black and white TV cost about 100 
and this album would have set you back about $1.25. That same year, a shot of cheap booze cost 17 cents, meaning that in 1955, you could make the decision between seven stiff drinks or one sappy album. Either way, you'll probably wind up with a headache and regretting your choice. <laughs> oh, man. On the Village Green, the kinks are feeling nostalgic while abandoning their American R&B influence for an unusual pop-like genre that's as distinctly British as a Sunday roast. This is Tom, everybody. My tweet length review is a sentient turtleneck sweater and warm cup of tea come to life and make an album. (laughs) (laughs) Coming in hot. Part Austin Powers spy soundtrack, part Sade gets a drum machine for Christmas. If you hate the sonic taste of unprocessed, clean and pristine sound, and also kind of wished you lived inside a subterranean after-hours club down some dark European alleyway, then Dummy is definitely for you. Guys, I can't tell if this is divinely inspired genius, free-flowing, uninhibited expression, not unlike James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, or, or... Am I just listening to a drunkard with perfect pitch, ramble, 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 his neo-romantic poetry that he scrawled into his notebook drunkenly and now is rereading that I mentioned he's drunk for the first time (laughs) since scrawling it into his notebook. And he has a pretty good live acoustic band behind him. That last one was Astral Weeks, right? Yes. Oh, Van Morrison, yes. If you're talking about famous drunkards and it's not John Martin, it's Van Morrison. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I anytime anyone mentions Sade, I laugh. I just have to laugh. That is one of the greatest references to just pull out at any time. Sade is amazing. Who is the sentient turtleneck? Oh, that's Nora Jones. Oh. The sentient turtleneck and a warm cup of tea. That's yes. Nora yes. <laughs> yes. You can really tell there are some weeks where you get divinely inspired by your tweet length review and you're like I've really got something and then there are some weeks where you're like I got nothing and I'm just gonna say some bitchy shit and <laughs> I'm gonna say something that I'll contradict like 30 seconds later <laughs> right it's true. It's very. It's a very exciting feeling when you feel like you got. Because normally, how it comes, at least to me, right, is I start. I get the sentiment down, like in my notes app or something during the week, and I'm like, okay, I can work that into something that's going to be gold. And other times, it's just it's it's more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So while reviewing all these, I did find some some thematic through lines that we like to go to in our tweet length reviews. We do tend to record this podcast right around dinner time here on the West Coast. So maybe we were just hungry when we laid these down, uh, this series of tweets, making use of food analogies. Let's play those. This is Tom. My tweet length review is that this album is like a stuffed crust pizza. All of the ingredients are there to make something amazing, but there is just a little too much cheese crammed into it for it to really hit the spot. (laughs) Grigri is like if Kamala from WWF made a record. (laughs) No, here's what I really wrote in my tweet length review. Like jambalaya made by a meth head, this record is a thick stew of randomly selected unsavory items. Your most common thought while consuming it is, dear God, what am I putting in my body? (laughs) This album was released within a month of Paranoid, after the gold rush, and Abraxas. Even at the time, it must have sounded dated. And to a modern ear, this shit is cornier than the Iowa State Fair. But goddamn, does Karen Carpenter have an amazing voice? (laughs) 
Dude, jambalaya made by a meth head needs to be on a t-shirt. I really think that, along with Dr. John's face. Is there another kind of jambalaya that's not made by meth heads? It's a meth head exclusive food. I didn't know I was on this podcast for two years and never knew there was a Kamala from WWF reference. That's, that's a solid pull. I'm into it. Okay. Another trope our team loves to go to is asking the audience, if you like such and such, then perhaps this other thing is for you. You know, these tweets week over week, they kind of tend to fall into some formats. Uh, So I want to play some that kind of fit that format. And also, I think it might be helpful to know that in this clip package, it kicks off with Alan reviewing the Black Crows Shake Your Money Maker. If you like reconstituted rock music that flagrantly imitates an iconic UK band from the 60s, (laughs) delivered by two brothers who hate each other's guts, then I think Oasis might be your kind of band. (laughs) Do you like your indie rock extra whiny with a dash of obtuse environmental politics? Then R.E.M. have the record for you. (laughs) Is Bob Marley too authentic for you? Are the police too, well, good? Then have I got a treat for you. Enter the specials and their stiff brand of punky and soulless reggae. For appreciators of nonsensical slam poetry from a drug-addled fame monster, and also hand claps blended into snare drum hits, Electric Warrior sees the original king of glam lay down a timelessly cool, if surprisingly reserved, rock and roll classic. If you want to get screamed at by an unintelligible Irishman who's constantly repeating himself and playing an out-of-tune guitar, you don't need to travel to Belfast or even your local pub. Van Morrison's Astro Weeks has got you covered. Look, I can read the room here. I know our audience. So if, as I suspect, you're out there trying your damnedest to avoid things like excellently crafted songs, otherworldly <laughs> expert-level four-part harmonies, and a depth of production value mixed with live band earthy energy, then by all means, steer clear, sir, of Deja Vu. <laughs> I mean, those are all pretty solid. I mean, that, that, was a, that was a great bucket of clips there. I'm pretty proud of all of us as a group. Those were fantastic. Well, and they're just such realistic comparisons, too. We've all thought those things in the past. You know what made it the best? No Tom tweets in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what really puts it over the edge. Into- well, speaking of, so well, since you mentioned perfect segue, Tom, I, I won't lie to you, dear listeners, that sometimes we land some fairly caustic burns in these reviews and really set up an extra complainy tone for the show uh, that week. Oh, no. So here's a few particularly harsh tweets from this year. And I should say, I don't actually know how much Tom is represented here, but I just have a feeling <laughs> he might be in here. Yeah. Sexless elevator music with about as much teenage rebellion as a glass of warm milk. This album was critically acclaimed, commercially successful, influential, made without a bunch of infighting and drug use. What more could you possibly want? Aside from a consistently good album. Oh. Ah. So, hey, everybody, this is Adam, and my, my tweet-length review is, The Pixies are known for their dynamic, loud, quiet, loud shifts in their songs which made it extremely satisfying when I discovered my own dynamic for listening to this album, which is loud, quiet, off. (laughs) I have what I think will be the shortest tweet-length review that anyone has had on this podcast so far. Ready for this? Yes. Stevie Wonder Bread. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been to Hanoi. I have no idea if it actually rocks or not. This album rocks a little, but it also sucks. A lot. I'm going to take a page 
from our friend Phil here and quote someone who has no connection to the music business whatsoever. <laughs> I think John Wilkes Booth said it best <laughs> as he lay dying in a barn from a bullet to the spine. <laughs> Useless. Useless. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really just pissy, pissy people. I love it so much. It's, we've been crafting this for, honestly, our entire friendship, which, Adam, I've been friends with you for like 37 years. Yeah, man. And yep. Rob, you and I have been friends for 27 years, maybe. Yeah. Alan... You're like a relatively new friend in that we've only been At friends 20. for like t- <laughs> yeah. 22 years or something like that. No, actually, it's more like 24 years. Good Lord. Yeah. We have really just been saying the pissiest, bitchiest stuff to each other this entire time. And this is this was the practice. This was our going to the Shaolin Temple to get ready for the big fight scene. <laughs> Right. I just like how we're able when we craft the things that make each other laugh specifically. I mean, that's that's sort of the directive here, right? Is to try to try to get the other guys to break the John Wilkes Booth thing, because like just the idea that you're giving an album review and your opening words are John Wilkes Booth. Where the (laughs) hell is this going? Okay, Uh, let's keep it rolling. We got some more clips here. Another common theme for us is bringing up other bands into the review, either as touchstones to the sound of this week's album or just for a punchline to throw some collateral damage out there for fun. So here's a collection of tweets of us invoking other bands. More like the Brady Bunch, less like the Beach Boys. The Carpenters Close to You has a family band vibe that would be all vanilla ice cream and missionary sex if it weren't for that (laughs) tinge of darkness brought by singer, drummer extraordinaire, and cooler sister Karen. (laughs) Funhouse is a feral scream of the American id and the ground zero of a primal fury aimed straight at the heart of the false promise of hippie free love and an American nightmare. This record is why everybody knows the name Iggy Pop, and it still sounds timeless and unhinged today, launching a thousand bands as varied as Sex Pistols, Blondie, Guns N' Roses, Black Flag, and Queens of the Stone Age. Bow down and welcome to the Funhouse. It's the New York Dolls, except instead of grabbing the makeup bags labeled Drag Show, they accidentally grab the ones labeled Dumbest Gimmick Ever. (laughs) In the wee small hours, Frank Sinatra picks a theme and sticks with it, choosing sad and lonely song titles that you might expect to find on a Morrissey album. And while this might be the first time these two names have been used in the same sentence, They share an ability as singers to connect us with common human experiences. I have a very short, very pithy tweet-length review. This is Tom here. My tweet-length review is just Apartment of Discomfort. Because they're a down-market house of pain. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Uh, Dude, Tom, that yeah, was great. Uh, that was a solid one. House of Pain catching strays on this episode. Good good timing. Good timing on the delivery. I was very proud of myself for that particular one. Yeah, man. Conan Neutron chiming in there as well. Good to hear his voice. Yeah, he he, he brought the heat. Yeah, it's a lot of of good words strung together there. Wait a word, Conan. (laughs) Good words. Going to have him back soon. So so one of the things... One of the things we we grapple with week to week here and laugh about is that slippery fish known as music genre. 
Bands seem to hate being labeled, but as listeners, it can be a helpful way to categorize and get people excited. So here's us throwing genre around the room in a in a series of tweets. Middle-aged, career in freefall, and feeling heartbroken, Frank Sinatra manages to invent a new art form known as the album and a new musical genre, sad bastard music. <laughs> yes. Adam Ant incorporated themes from far and wide into this album, from the Burundi beats of Central Africa to Native American imagery and even a pinch of swashbuckling on the open ocean. Never before has an album traveled so far to accomplish so little. If you ever wondered how American rock music made the strange transition from Jimi Hendrix to Motley Crue, look no further than the band Kiss. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. It's borderline unimaginable that a concept album about an armadillo tank was FM radio gold at one point. Back then, they were full-on classical-loving, blowjob-getting rock stars. But if this thing came out today, not only would they all have day jobs guaranteed, but their co-workers would be bullying all three of them. <laughs> you know, I used to think Devo was a bunch of weirdos who made mildly catchy nerd rock, devoid of any sort of human emotion. I still think that, but I used to think it too. <laughs> Borrowing Bowie's glam sensibility along with Ronald McDonald's fast food marketability, <laughs> the band Kiss paved the way for other clown bands like Guar and Insane Clown Posse. <sighs> Anytime ICP comes up, I'm happy. <laughs> so well done. See, I thought he was going to slip like Guar, ICP, and Creed. Like I thought there was like a next, <laughs> next level coming to the Rule clowns. of threes, man. Rule of threes. It's true. Ah. Can't break those rules. We got Discography Dave, our friend of the show and fellow podcaster in there as well, talking about ELP and the uh, the Armadillo Tank. I feel like sad bastard music has come up quite a few times. Alan, you did one really... Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even have to say it. Yes. yes. I think he, he fell, into the, fell into the sad bastard... Very yeah. sad bastard. Another great way to describe albums or bands is the tried and true formula of A plus B. So I've got some A plus B, best of A plus B tweets in the next clip package. Alice in Chains harmonies, Deftones distorted guitars, and the timeless sound of a DJ making record scratchy scratch noises. What's not to like? Millionaire convinces Steely Dan and Pink Floyd to make a baby and wind up creating Proto Toto. Ooh, Ooh. I don't know. Proto Toto is pretty hot. Yes. <laughs> Smooth voiced weirdo combines yacht rock with math rock to make 23 tracks out of basically two ideas. <laughs> By the way, I didn't need the album title to tell me that Thundercat was intoxicated. <laughs> In Kings of the Wild Frontier, Adam and the Ants borrow sucking at playing your instrument from the punk rockers and flamboyant stage persona from the glam rockers. Combine them into something worse than the Clash, but better than the village people. <laughs> After my first run through, I wrote down, it's like corn with a forward facing C. It's like 311 for smart people. But overall, I actually found that it rose above the pablum of general new metal that was going on at the time. Ever wondered what it would sound like if the Black Panthers took over Sesame Street? Look no further. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that, okay. that's, on, that's on point. Was that last one Sly in the Family Stone, Yeah, Rob? that's yeah, Black that's Panthers taking yeah. over Sesame Street? That's yeah, pretty that's... good. <laughs> yeah. 
Tom, I've had numerous people come up to me and say that the corn with a forward-facing C is quite possibly the greatest thing they've heard on the <laughs> two and a half years of this entire podcast. So, so well done, sir. I have to say, for so long, I thought that the K was backwards. It's the R that's backwards in corn. I was incorrect about that. It's forward-facing it K, O, backwards, I this, R, N. I, I thought the same thing until you just said that right now. Yeah. Wait, I got to give, give it up to Proto Toto. That's Yeah, Proto Toto is pretty solid. That was, that was quality. That might need to be the next merch. Uh, <laughs> Proto Toto, yeah. Super yeah. Tramp equals Proto Toto. So sometimes, despite our decades-long friendship, or perhaps because of it, the tweets veer off the path a little bit and send some shrapnel around the room <laughs> instead. <laughs> so here's a few where we directed some complaints back at our co-hosts. Oh, God. Every breath Tom took during his intro monologue could have been filled with biatch, and it would have fit on the record perfectly. Like, it's not, it's not disrespect, it's punctuation. Beautiful singing and deft production that only a jaded hipster wouldn't love. Okay, all right. Sounds like it's it. getting... It's getting personal early. (laughs) In celebration of Led Zeppelin 2, I decided to write two tweet-length reviews this week. The first one is, when I saw the focus list and I saw that it did not include Living, Love, and Made, I knew Rob was a no. He's trying to bring down your experience. He's stacking the deck. Prove me wrong. He definitely left us wanting. Or not. All right. My other, my other tweet length review is if you want to listen to a rhythmless white man blindly, sloppily search for the one beat, I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day, then I present to you Led Zeppelin 2, 41 minutes of Adam, you can eat shit. You don't know what you're talking about. Jimmy Page is a god. He's a vampire. He's been drinking baby's blood since the 70s. He'll never die, and he'll always be better at guitar than both of us. Man, Phil with the flamethrower taking out two two people in one one tweet. I don't think Phil yeah. understood the assignment of the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, a tweet. Right. You could yeah. say that a lot. I think. Okay, we're we're getting close to the end of our our clips here, but I wanted to throw out one secondary set of semi complimentary tweets. So ble- believe it or not, as much snark as we throw, we do compliment these records occasionally. How dare you accuse us of being curmudgeonly elder millennials when we occasionally dole out niceties like these? Is it possible for something to sound? very, very staunchly 20 years ago and also kind of sound like the future. I think Missy Elliott <laughs> rides that line very well on this album. I didn't know anything about ska going into this week, the origins or the various revival movements. And while I'm not going to buy any checkered shirts or pork pie hats anytime soon, <laughs> I got to admit it's hard not to bob your head to this stuff. I felt like it was the 60s and the 90s in a blender passed through some kind of mid-fi filter. The fi is too low for the modern pop ear, but too high for the lo-fi punk junkies. From the relaxed swing of the opening chords to the haunting strains of the perfectly written closer, the band's rough-and-ready harmonies shine a light on the intense brotherhood of banddom. Serious question, did America even exist before the band invented it? Beauty and the Beat is like a group of seemingly wholesome girls tempting you to come and hit the town with them. 
but you soon realize they are talking you into a cocaine-fueled romp through L.A. It is intriguing, it is fun, and somehow both carefree and a little dangerous at the same time. Astro Weeks is to rock music what the Lord of the Rings books are to the fantasy lit canon. Discursive, rambling, often boring. Plus, they both rely heavily on the made-up language of thoroughly intoxicated nerds. But also, they each offer a peek into a self-contained alternate dimension, complete with its own characters, geographies, and mythologies that draw you in and make you want to live there, at least for a little while. Was Tolkien a drunkard? I didn't know Tolkien was a drunkard. I guess it makes sense, but I was just guessing. I don't know. He seemed to like pipes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they all have drinking problems, of course. Those are oh all pretty God. well constructed, if I do say so. Yeah. Okay. So we're grumps, but look, even we <laughs> can be surprised sometimes. Here's the best of the tweets I found that indicate weeks where our expectations were exceeded or at least upended. When I heard that the album was called Funhouse. I don't think that I was expecting super aggressive guitars, driving bass, and the ramblings of a seemingly immortal heroin addict, but I gotta say, (laughs) it actually did provide a good amount of fun. I was pleasantly surprised by this album. 17 Seconds is atmospheric, minimalist, and patient. A haunted house of a record with vibe for days. This week saw me trying to reconcile my unpainted fingernails with the dawning realization that I may just have been secretly goth all along. You know, at the beginning of the week, I thought Kiss was a bunch of mediocre musicians who care more about the way they look than the quality of the relatively bland party music that bloats their albums. And I still think that. (laughs) But I have found a new appreciation for them after digging into them this week. You know those moments in life as an adult when you're at a party or a reception or some social event and you stumble into a conversation and there's someone you don't know, but as you're listening to the conversation, this new person says something, maybe a Simpsons quote or a mystery science theater reference, reference, your ears perk up and you immediately think, oh, I'm going to be friends with this guy. In this case, the conversation was this album. The stranger was Radiohead. And the quote was the bass guitar at the 32-second mark on track one. From that moment forward, we're sort of kind of best friends. How is it that in the mid-1980s, quite possibly the cokiest era that has ever coked, an aging rock star known for her intense, stimulant-fueled, raucous live show puts out a remarkably subdued album and finds almost universal success and acclaim? I do not understand it. (laughs) You can teach some old dogs some new tricks, right? Even those ones weren't that complimentary, though, of the artists (laughs) overall. They're kind of like, man, I really thought you were going to suck really hard. You really sucked kind of hard. Yeah, that was the surprise clip package. We were expressing some some amount of surprise at our own reactions. It does happen sometimes. Yeah, especially on the new albums. That for, For me, it's been a great experience just because a lot of these I have literally never heard before. They're all new, so it's it's great to get some of the, the raw reactions from me. Indeed. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end, guys, but I wanted to mention that as podcasters, it's our job, astute listeners may have noticed this, it's our job to exaggerate our opinions a bit for comedic and dramatic effect. So here's a few tweets where we may have been just a bit hyperbolic. <laughs> oh, God. Rebelling against the bloat and excess of the 1970s, Minutemen make a seemingly endless double album out of maximum (laughs) two song ideas. (laughs) Hey, everybody, this is Adam. And before I give you my tweet, I need to let our listeners know that in November of 1994, 
I was 14, and I wore a Starfleet officer's uniform to the opening of the movie Star Trek Generations and was literally the only person in the theater wearing a costume. Now, <laughs> I tell you all that in order to give you my tweet, which is, this is some nerdy ass music. <laughs> They come with a lot of baggage, I know, the fans, the drugs, the 45-minute space jams. But rest assured, the Grateful Dead are the great American rock band. And this album goes a long way towards proving it. Dimery blows it again. Can't buy a thrill better than Royal Scam. <laughs> Only a fool would say that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done. I feel like I deserve to get a drink thrown in my face by a woman just for listening to this. <laughs> Adam, I'm really glad that we got a Star Trek reference on our Shades of Grey clip show episode here. For anybody who's not super steeped in the Star, Wars, Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> lore, that was the final episode of season two universally acclaimed as their worst episode ever hopefully this won't be our worst episode ever because those were some killer tweets i thought they were quite yeah, good i i agree wait we I, I need photos of this of this star trek and I, I also by the way if you went to the was it a premiere there's no way you were the only one that was dressed up it was christiana mall and i remember thinking my older sister convinced me she said it's star trek there's going to be people there dressed up and I swear to God, there was no one else. Maybe it was the time of day I went. It was only high schoolers. I could possibly reach out to, we'll bleep her name, because I think she went with me to the movies. <laughs> She's like, why is Adam getting his ass kicked in the parking lot? I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I wanted to die because I was the only person in a captain's uniform. Your sister set you up, definitely. I, I think, yeah, yeah I, that's a very good point. I expressed surprise. I cut it off in the clip, but I, I expressed surprise right after you said that too, Adam. It's hard to believe no one else was dressed up. I believe you. I'm just saying I think that was an honest mistake. Okay, but Rob, you were a Star Trek nerd in high school, yes? Did you Not... go see Generations in the theater? Tom, despite the fact that we have a Star Trek The Next Generation tribute band, <laughs> I don't really consider myself a Star Trek nerd. I mean, <laughs> okay, fair enough. All I'm saying is I saw Generations in the theater and it never once occurred to me to put a Star Trek to put more one to go. I've never liked something enough to dress up to go to the movies, I have to say. Just to spend untold dollars and hours recording music <laughs> on <laughs> that show's bath. <laughs> okay. And to close out our very first best of episode, I present to you the last category of tweets, lovingly titled stuff that didn't quite fit into the other segments, but that I still really liked hearing again. I hope you all do too. Try and imagine this a lamer version of the band 311. No way, you might say to yourself. That's impossible. Do you wish David Bowie had a less talented younger brother also making weird rock records in the late 70s? Well, guess what? Kings of the Wild Frontier is a texturally rich, structurally bizarre time capsule that comes pretty darn close. When you introduce yourself to the world with a didgeridoo as the <laughs> very first note on your debut album, you're already fighting an uphill battle. Hey all, this is Rob here, excited to talk about Sonora Jones. <laughs> My tweet length review is... 
don't know why I didn't call out sick from the podcast this week. (laughs) (laughs) This album took me back to high school, mainly because it sounds like it was written by high schoolers, performed by high schoolers, and possibly recorded in a high school AV lab. Oh, okay. When you listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, you're probably picturing a merry band of morons farting on each other and drawing dicks everywhere, while occasionally spouting junky philosophy about the healing power of music. Well, guess what? You nailed it. As if making Eric Clapton cry isn't enough to get me to like you, Jimi <laughs> Hendrix virtually invents a slinky, free-rambling guitar style on Are You Experienced that is effortlessly cool and confirms that Hendrix isn't just great because he did it first. In many ways, he still did it best. Man, I feel like that was the second stray that 311 caught in, the, in this yeah. uh, <laughs> That's true. It's Which true. is probably the closest I'll get to this list, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know how it strikes the audience for us to laugh again at our own material. But it's, 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 pretty, really... it's pretty self-serving. But I think I found another t-shirt. More more t-shirt potentials are Snora Jones and Stevie Wonderbread. I think we had those two on. That's good. A, uh, yeah, we should write those down. Let's get let's get yeah. crack crack lacking on that. <laughs> Okay, I, I also actually, I kind of had a vision listening to that Tom tweet about Hendrix of like Eric Clapton crying on the floor while Hendrix is like shredding, you know, somebody could do a drawing of that. Let's get that on a shirt too. Yeah. No words and necessary. Cackling you know? in the background, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, that was a very fun walk down memory lane. We hope you enjoyed it too. If you dug this episode, we'd certainly love to hear from you in the form of an email to 1001albumcomplaints at Gmail or better yet, a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And remember, we're going to continue our publishing, our album deep dives every Monday for free, but have also started expanding into some video published a day early to our YouTube channel and are talking about some new fun show ideas uh, as bonus content for our Patreon community. So wherever you listen, however you decide to support us, we love you. Thank you for a great year and happy new year. For 1001 Album Complaints, I've been Rob. I've been Tom. I'm Adam. And I'm Alan. Boosh. 